So then what should we do with this idea? Right? Obviously, the key application is that we too should surrender our whole lives. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He rules over the entire earth. That, that includes every part of our life. There is no greater time than Christmas for us to dedicate and devote our entire lives to Him. What is that pocket of your life that you're reserving for yourself, that you are pretending like it does not belong to God? Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. So for those uh, who are visiting this morning, my name is Cooper. I'm one of the pastors here at Heartland. I'm the pastor of Adults and Family Ministries. Uh, and Merry Christmas Eve to everyone. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, I followed Greg's advice. We did not wait until the last minute to finish our Christmas shopping today. We did it yesterday. Uh, so as a family, we went out and it was a ton of fun, right? The energy level was high, the stores were full, uh, and the excitement was in the air, right? Christmas is such an important cultural moment for us uh, as a nation, as a world, that there is so many things that happen, right? You get so many fun traditions, you get time with family, of course, there are presents, right? And all of these things can be good things when held in proper balance. Uh, for us as Christians, we recognize uh, that uh, Christmas is so much more than just time for presents and family, right? Christmas is a time when we think and reflect and celebrate about Jesus being born. So in my series, when I get to preach, I preach uh, on a theme called the red thread, right? This is this idea that we can follow these themes throughout Scripture and see how they're developed. And so this morning, the theme that I'm going to talk about is the theme of Emmanuel or God with us. Oh, there we go. The theme of Emmanuel, or God with us. So Matthew 1, the text that we're focusing on this morning, is a very familiar passage, right? If you know anything about the Christmas story, you have read Matthew 1 before. Uh, we sing about songs from Matthew 1. We hear it in our Christmas concerts. This is one of those passages that we tend to know a fair bit about. So today, we're going to try and look at this text from a slightly different perspective and try and see if there's something new that we can learn together, right? It's a bit like when you're watching a favorite movie or a TV show that you've seen a bunch of times, and every now and again, you can find commentary on those movies or TV shows, right, where the directors and the actors provide comments about what it is that you're seeing. And you realize, oh man, there's all kinds of cool details about how the set is extra realistic, or little uh, insights into the characters and things that they do, right? And so that's kind of what we want to do this morning, is look at something new, look at something old from a new perspective. An example of something that you may have never noticed before is that it is common in TV shows and movies when there are characters in a car for the production crew to remove the headrests. Look at this. 
right? This is something I had never noticed before this week, right? It's something that I had seen hundreds or thousands of times and never noticed. But if you start watching your favorite movies and your favorite TV shows and there's a scene in a car, chances are that those headrests have been removed because they, conf they conflict with the camera angles, right? So we're going to try and do something like that this morning. Look at something familiar and see if we can see something new. And the idea that we want to get at this morning, our key idea this morning, is that God is for us by being with us in Jesus Christ. God is for us, meaning He loves us. He chooses us. He redeems us and wants a relationship with us. And the way that we chiefly see that God is for us is through Jesus, who is God with us. And so we will be looking at this idea this morning, chiefly from our Matthew passage today. Let's pray. God of heaven, we are grateful to be your sons and daughters who are gathered here, who can read your word faithfully, who can hear your word preached. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be powerfully present, providing the right words to say. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be present in the understanding of these words, helping us to apply them to our hearts and our minds and our lives so that we can more fully know you and love you and live a life in response to you. We pray, Lord, this morning that attention would be drawn not to the speaker, but to the Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to start by walking through our Matthew text together, just so we can kind of be all on the same page. Maybe it's not as familiar to some of you. And so we want to make sure that we kind of understand the basics of what's going on before we dive deeply into a few points this morning. So Matthew 1.18 begins by saying, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. You can find these verses uh, on the screen. You can also find them in your bulletin as well as in your Bibles. So Matthew is talking here about the birth of Jesus. So far in one, verses 1 through 17, he's given Jesus' family tree. And now he's going to tell the story of how Jesus was born. And so this is the birth story of Jesus, which is appropriate for us to think through on a Christmas uh, Eve sermon. So it says, when his, Mary, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... This is an old-fashioned word. We don't use the word betrothed too much. But when you think of betrothal, we tend to think of engagement, right? That Joseph was engaged to Mary. Some translations will even say to Mary who had been engaged to Joseph. But that's not really the right idea. We want to think of betrothal as engagement plus Right? We don't do this anymore, but to be betrothed meant that you were legally married. You were married, but you weren't living in the same house yet. Right? The husband and wife had not yet come together. Right? This was an ancient Jewish custom, and normally you would be betrothed for about a period of a year before the wedding feast happened and the husband and wife would begin to live together and that marriage relationship would be consummated. So Mary and Joseph were betrothed, 
And so during this period of betrothal, Joseph had come to learn that Mary was pregnant. And at the time, Joseph did not know that it was God who had put that child inside of Mary. So Joseph makes a reasonable decision. It says, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he had resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph had made the understandable inference that Mary had been unfaithful and had been with someone else, and so he had resolved to divorce her. He did not know that, she had, uh, that this baby had been put there by God. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph has a dream, and the angel comes to visit him and gives him a message from God. And the angel says, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He says, she was not unfaithful. In fact, she is a vessel that God is using to bring his son into the world. Side note, this is one of the verses that I go to for, be, for a pro-life position, right? This is one of the verses that I think are like those anchor texts for a pro-life position. Why is it that I know that life begins before birth? Jesus, right? The virgin birth of Jesus is some of the strongest biblical evidence that life begins at conception. When did Jesus's life begin? The Bible tells us. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That was free. That's not on the quiz at the end. <laughs> so, he's, the angel tells Joseph, take her as your wife. And then we get to the first, going to be a key verse. The angel says, she's going to bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We're going to come back to that one. The next key verse, all this took place. To fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. The Lord had spoken this by Isaiah, by the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We're going to look at that a little bit later. So then Joseph wakes up from his sleep, and he obeys. He takes Mary as his wife, but he, they begin to live together, did not know her until they had had a son, and he called his name Jesus. So this is our text this morning, and as we dive deeply into it, we're going to understand, we're going to learn why did Jesus come to earth. We're going to look at three reasons of why Jesus came to earth. Why did he become God with us? And as we learn why he became God with us, we'll see that God is always powerfully for us. So our first key reason from our passage that Jesus came to earth is that Jesus came to earth so that he could rule over all things. We see this in our passage, and we see this in our passage from that quotation from Isaiah. Now, this is going to get a little complicated, so you're going to have to stay with me for a few minutes because we're going to have to take a detour through the book of Isaiah in order to understand what Matthew is doing, right? Matthew says, hey, all of this Jesus birth stuff is fulfilling what Isaiah talked about. 
Matthew is expecting us to already know the ideas that Isaiah has talked about. Matthew's saying, hey, listen, Jesus in this birth, this miraculous birth, is fulfilling these things that Isaiah talked about. So we should be going, okay, well, what are those things that Isaiah talked about? So we're going to have to look at Isaiah a little bit more closely this morning. It's kind of like if you're doing your family Christmas Eve and Christmas Day things at your house, and you've got someone who's just got a really bad attitude, and they're sitting off in the corner. And you look at them, and you say, come on, Ebenezer Scrooge, come join the fun. Right? You're not changing their name. You're expecting them to already know one of the best-known Christmas characters of all time, Ebenezer Scrooge, and to know that he hated Christmas and responded to anything and any of the ideas of joy and happiness with that famous phrase, bah humbug, right? Matthew is doing something similar. He's saying, when I talk about Jesus here, you need to already be thinking about what's going on in Isaiah. But Isaiah the Isaiah passage, Isaiah 7, is a little bit complicated. So I'll try and get just the essentials for us this morning. There was a king named Ahaz. Now, King Ahaz was a descendant from King David. And so he, King Ahaz ruled over God's people. But King Ahaz had two problems. Problem one is that King Ahaz was a wicked king. That's a big problem. King Ahaz was a descendant from David. He was supposed to lead God's people well, but he, did, he was a wicked king. He did not trust the Lord. So King Ahaz doesn't trust the Lord. That's problem one. Problem two is that there are two neighboring nations that are coming together to attack King Ahaz. They want to defeat his armies and kill him and set up an entirely different line to rule the nation. That's another pretty big problem. But King Ahaz has an idea. He's going to go to this powerful nation called the Assyrians and ask for help. The Assyrians were kind of like the ancient mafia, right? In the ancient, with, with the mafia, if you're a shop owner and you've got a problem with shoplifting, right, the teenagers are coming in and they're ruining your store, they're shoplifting everything, you could go to the mafia and you could say, I need some help. And the mafia says, oh, we'd be happy to help. And they'll solve your shoplifting problem for a price. Assyria was the same way. Ahaz says, I have an idea. These little nations are wanting to come up against me and destroy me and kill me. I'm going to go to the Assyrians. And the Assyrians are super strong and mighty. And they go, oh, we're happy to help you, Ahaz, for a price. And that price was lots of money over lots of years. But Isaiah comes to Ahaz and says, don't do it. Trust the Lord. The Lord will defeat your enemies. You don't need the Assyrians. Isaiah is so confident that he says, Ahaz, ask a sign. Ask for a sign from God that he is on your side. Ask for a sign. And Ahaz, already knowing he's going to talk to the Assyrians, goes, oh, I would never challenge God. He's acting faithful and pious when really he's already made up his mind that he's going to go to the Assyrians. So then God says, okay, you've made your bad decision because you don't trust me. I'm still going to give you a sign, 
but this sign will show you just how powerful I am and the God that you have abandoned in order to pursue your mafia leader Assyrians for protection. And this will be the sign, King Ahaz, someone that you know, a maiden who's never been with a man, she is going to get pregnant and they're going to name this child Emmanuel. And this child, before they know how to choose the difference between right and wrong, right? I don't know how old that is, right? Four or five years old. Some Jewish traditions say it's 20 years old. But before this child knows how to choose what's right and wrong, those nations that are against you, those two little, king, those two little kingdoms, they're going to be destroyed. And you'll know that God is powerful and you rejected him. Now, this was 700 years before Jesus, Okay? 700 years before Jesus, and Isaiah says, King Ahaz, there's going to be a human that's born that you know that within 5 to 20 years, these kingdoms are going to be destroyed. That happened about four years after Isaiah was talking to Ahaz. Those kingdoms were destroyed. And all of this makes sense to me. And then you get to Matthew. And Matthew says, you know that baby that, I was talking, that, that Isaiah was talking about that was born like 700 years ago that showed how powerful God was? This, this is actually Jesus. Jesus is the fullest expression and fulfillment of that expectation. And we say, what? But see, this is what happens in, in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah uses these themes and develops them more fully throughout his passage. The theme of a child that's born and brings deliverance is developed throughout the book of Isaiah especially in the first 12 chapters. So this is what I say. I say Isaiah 7 is like the headwaters for the Emmanuel child in the book, right? So this is a picture of the headwaters of the Mississippi River, right? Up at Lake Itasca, it's 20 to 30 feet across. It's the narrowest part of the Mississippi River. It's knee-high water, Right? It's the start of this mighty river that runs for thousands of miles, millions of gallons, and is averaging a mile wide in most places, in some places much wider. Right? So Isaiah 7 is like the headwaters for a theme about a coming child who brings deliverance. And we see this theme developed in key places in the book of Isaiah, like Isaiah 9, that we heard this morning. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. This isn't just a human child. This child will be called the everlasting Father, mighty God, Prince of Peace. The government will be on His shoulders. Isaiah says, yeah, there's a, there's a baby coming that's going to show how powerful God is in this world, but there's another child coming who will undo all the forces of evil who will have an expansive righteous reign. Isaiah 11 says there is a shoot that's coming forth from the stump of Jesse, and this person will rule with righteousness and justice and faithfulness. The lion will lie down with the lamb, and there will be everlasting peace in his reign. Now it starts to make sense what Matthew is doing. Matthew is saying, now when Jesus was born from a virgin, 
Yes, this connects with the language of Isaiah 7, but much more importantly, the entire theme of this coming child that Isaiah promised that will bring perfect peace where this child will rule over all the enemies of God, bringing prosperity and peace and justice and righteousness as far as the curse is found. So the first reason that Jesus came to earth is so that He could rule over all things. So then what should we do with this idea? Right, obviously, the key application is that we too should surrender our whole lives. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He rules over the entire earth. That, that includes every part of our life. There is no greater time than Christmas for us to dedicate and devote our entire lives to Him. What is that pocket of your life that you're reserving for yourself, that you are pretending like it does not belong to God? Jesus came so that He could rule over all things, every part of our life. As we face this new year, we also need to remember Jesus rules over everything. All the chaos that swirls around us, for some of us we will, in this room, we may lose our jobs this year. For some of us, there will be family crises. For all of us, it is a year of political upheaval. Wherever we look, Jesus is ruling, and that provides comfort and peace. So God is for us by being with us in Jesus, a Jesus who came to rule over all things. And number two, in this passage, we see that Jesus came so that we could better perceive God. Jesus came so that we could understand who God is better, right? This idea is found in that Emmanuel word. It's a Hebrew word that means God with us. Jesus came to earth so that we could know God. This is an idea that's taught throughout church history, perhaps nowhere more powerfully than a man named Athanasius. Athanasius was a church father in the 300s, and he is a giant in the Christian faith. Athanasius held firm that Jesus is fully God in a world where most followers of Jesus did not think that he was fully God. Athanasius is a leader who articulated the powerful belief that Jesus is fully God, but he also wrote a fantastic book called On the Incarnation. It's less than 100 pages, and he talks about why God had to be born as Jesus. Wonderful Christmas Eve reading if you're looking for something to do tonight. Right? And this idea is found in Athanasius, and it's taught powerfully in our text that God is with us in Jesus. See, because God is clear to us in Jesus. We see this uh, picture of a seal uh, that's been stamped, right? A wax seal that's been stamped. This is a perfect picture for helping us understand who Jesus is, right? Jesus shows us who God is because He is the perfect impression of the Father, Right, Hebrews 1.3 tells us that exact phrase, that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. It's one thing to talk 
about God. It's another thing to see God in a person, to see Him in flesh and blood. It's one thing to say that God loves His enemies. It's another thing when we read of Jesus on the cross with some of His dying breaths cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's one thing to hear that God is love. That's true. But it's another thing to see Jesus who eats with tax collectors and sinners, to see a Jesus who goes out of his way to meet the woman at the well, to see a Jesus who stops what he's doing to talk with a woman with a terrible disease. A person is so much clearer than a description. Jesus came so that we might know God. God is with us in Jesus. God is not only clear to us in Jesus, He is also near to us in Jesus. God is with us. God crossed an infinite divide when He was born in that lowly manger so many years ago. In the Old Testament, we read of how God revealed Himself to His people on a mountain at Mount Sinai, where Moses was called to go up to that mountain and meet with God in a storm. We read how in the Old Testament, God graciously revealed His presence in a cloud in the temple where only the high priests could go. We read of how God graciously communicated with His people through His prophets who would relate God's message. But now we have Jesus. Jesus is not in a mountain, He's in a man. We see God near to us, not in a cloud, but in the Christ who was born in Bethlehem. We see God not through His prophets, but through a person. God is here in Jesus. So what, what we do, what do we do with this idea that it is in Jesus that we most clearly can know who God is? Well, it's pretty simple, right? We make Jesus the center of our lives, but also the center of our Bibles. When we're reading the Bible, we want to ask ourselves continually, how does this help me know Christ? How does this story point to who Jesus is and what Jesus was doing? How does this help me better understand how God is for us in Jesus? Make Him the center of what it is that we do when we read. Because God is with us and near to us and clear to us in Jesus, who is revealed to us through Scripture. So we make Jesus central. So Jesus came so that He could rule over all things. He came so that we could better perceive God. And He came so that we could be forgiven. Our Matthew text in verse 21 says, She will bear a son, and you will call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. Just last week, Pastor Denny was talking about the significance of the name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. 
This is a crucial point for us to understand, and it's probably the most controversial of this morning. Jesus came so that He could save His people from their sins. Matthew says, don't miss this. When, I, when Matthew is getting ready to start the entire story of Jesus' life, he says, all right, I'm going to tell you how Jesus was born, and I don't want you to miss it. Jesus was born to save people from their sins. He didn't just come to point to a higher way of living. He didn't come to tell us some nice things about how to be nice to other people. He came so that we could have forgiveness. To miss this point, Matthew says, to miss what it is that Jesus came to do is to miss the whole thing. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew says, you want to know why Jesus was born in a manger? For forgiveness. So that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. Jesus came so that we might be forgiven. But forgiveness could not happen without Jesus being born as a human. Right? We have a special idea for this in, in theology, right? We call this Jesus is our substitute. Now, we use that word substitute in different kinds of ways, right? We talk about Jesus being our substitute who pays our penalty for our sins that we owe. He's our substitute. Now, sometimes we use the word substitute when we're talking about substitute sugars, right? You say, it's not sugar, but if you close your eyes and plug your nose, sweet and low is kind of close, right? We say something like this, sweet and low is like sugar, but there's a reason that Starbucks doesn't sell sweet and low brownies. Right? Because while sweet and low is like sugar, it's not sugar. Instead, when we think about substitution and we think of Jesus being our substitute, I think this is a better image. Right? If a picture is worth a thousand words, you can tell what happened with this poor photo. Right? Maybe it's because I'm the parent of three young children, but I look at this and I know that right off screen, there's a four or five-year-old crying red-faced, tears running down their cheeks. You know it's a hot day, and they were eating their chocolate and vanilla swirl ice cream, when who knows what happens to children's fingers, and they lose all coordination, and it falls to the ground. And any parent who comes over and says, hey, it's okay, I've got a pack of sweet and low. <laughs> they know that's not going to work. The only thing that's going to make those tears go away is another chocolate and vanilla swirl ice cream cone. This is the kind of substitute that Jesus is. Jesus is not like us. He is one of us. Jesus is our substitute. That's why Jesus had to be born as a human. He had to be born fully human. He couldn't leave anything out. He couldn't just be like us. He had to be us. He had to be one of us so that He could pay our penalty and be our substitute. 
So you see, Jesus in that manger shows how God is for us because Jesus is fully human. God became man so that he might save us. The only way that he could save us was through being our substitute, and the only kind of substitute that would work is the real thing, because sweet and low just doesn't cut it. So we've seen three reasons that Jesus became, came to be with us. Uh, we see there are three reasons that Jesus came to be with us. He came so that He could rule over all things. He came so that we could better perceive God. And He came so that we could be forgiven. So this morning, we've taken a closer look at one of those passages that we've seen many times. But hopefully, we've seen some new things that we've otherwise missed. We've seen that in the birth story of Jesus, there's the seed of all that Jesus came to do. Why was Jesus born? So that he might rule over every enemy of God. Why was he born so that we could see him and know him and touch him and learn from him? Jesus was born so that we might better see God himself in the person and character of Jesus. And why was he born human? So that he might bring forgiveness for our sins. And so we can cherish Christmas this morning. As we sit here on Christmas Eve, we're rightly reflecting on the beautiful truth that God came down to us as a human child to save humanity. And we cherish Christmas because it reminds us of God's power. He is the ruler of all. God himself crossed an infinite divide to be born as a baby for you and for me. We cherish Christmas because it reminds us of God's love, a love that shows itself to us in forgiveness, a love that shows itself to us in making God known to us in a person and not just simply in an idea. And we cherish Christmas because it reminds us of God's return. In just a moment, we'll sing the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This is a song that's sung from the perspective of ancient Israel. This is a song that is sung from the perspective of God's people who are in captivity, who are waiting for the day when God with us will be born. And then in the song, He comes, and so we rejoice, rejoice, because God is with us. And so we sing this song as a response, for we too are in a similar situation. We do not wait for Jesus to come and be born, but we wait for Him to come again. We long with hope. We wait expectantly that one day Jesus will appear again in victory for all who believe. And so, waiting for Christmas is a reminder that just as the world waited for that first Christmas morning, we too are waiting for our Savior to come. But not to be born to Mary, but to come in mighty power with climactic victory over all His enemies 
for all who believe.